Dude, we are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order. Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Patrick Flynn, uh, who is a political analyst at Smarkets and is the creator and the man who runs 326 Politics. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good to be here. Um, so the first question that I'd like to ask is, we've obviously um, had uh, Sarge Tom uh, from Smarkets before, um, but for those who haven't heard uh, the two episodes uh, with him, what is Smarkets? What, what kind of things do you do? Yeah, so Smarkets is a trading exchange similar to uh, Betfair or Predictit. And we basically seek to see how people can predict future outcomes based on trading. So if people put their own money in, they've got a stake in the market. And we basically try and just see how percentages change, see how probabilities change and see how accurate markets can be because um, there have been studies which have shown that prediction markets and the wisdom of the crowd phenomenon, which it's mm. called, can often outpredict the experts. Before you uh, joined uh, Smarkets, as I mentioned uh, just at the start now, uh, you created uh, 326 and, and that was part of how you got um, involved with uh, Smarkets. For those who aren't uh, aware of it, what, what, what is uh, 326? How does it relate to the, uh, the work you've uh, been doing now at Smarkets? Yeah, so it's basically uh, an account on Twitter at three to six polls, um, which seeks to predict elections and study opinion polling and political events that are coming up. And I make heavy use of data visualization to show my working, show my findings. Um, I mean, part of the aim with three to six politics was kind of to do do things differently and come up with ideas and present ideas that weren't covered anywhere else. So for example, I did visualizations of P's for the Conservative and Labour leadership elections, which gained a fair bit of traction. So uh, in the Conservative leadership election, it was plotting MPs based on the historical votes on the Brexit uh, votes in Parliament. Um, so we could see that from early on that Boris Johnson was picking up a lot of traction, a lot of support from those MPs that favoured a harder Brexit. Um, why do you think that um, the visualisation of data like that is important to see as opposed to just seeing it as um, uh, sections of, of, of data as, as, as numbers? I mean, from my own perspective, I'm a very visual person, very visual learner. Um, I think, I think visualising data, it just gives you a different way of showing it, a different way of presenting the data, and it can often highlight things that you couldn't just... Or it would take you longer to understand from really just presenting the data in tabular form. Now, uh, obviously, uh, Smarkets, as you've mentioned, uh, has been doing a lot uh, with, with politics and, and, yeah. and, the, and, and the trading of uh, ideas uh, to do with politics and, and, and particular outcomes. Um, since working at Smarkets, has anything surprised you in terms of uh, betting outcomes? Is there something, uh, a result that you didn't expect at all? Um, maybe not a result that has happened already. Like I've only been at Smarkets three months, but um, I found it interesting how the prediction markets are quite a way off where I think they should be, for example, for the presidential mm. election in November. Um, I mean, the markets have moved recently, but... Biden is at 60% and Trump is at 35, which has changed quite a lot in the past few weeks. Admittedly, mm. at, the, at the end of May, it was pretty much neck and neck. But I think 
based on my own like modeling and you've got like the economists model which is giving biden like an 85 percent chance of winning which is like a lot higher <laughs> than mm. the prediction market suggests interesting to see whether the prediction markets could outperform the polls or whether there's any legitimate reasons why the prediction markets could be giving trump a greater chance of re-election than the polls suggest mm. um do you think that uh, the reason for the, the the shifting in the markets is due to, um, uh, for example, the the uh, homicide of, of uh, George Floyd, which of course has sparked a, a great deal of outrage in the US and, and around the world, uh, or do you think it's uh, Trump's handling of coronavirus and the impact that has had on hundreds of thousands of people, uh, millions of people in in the US, or do you think it's a, a a combination of the both. Yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. So you've seen that polls in the US have given Trump negative approval ratings, both for his handling of coronavirus and the Black Lives Matter movement in the protests, which have in turn contributed to his overall approval rating basically plummeting. It's 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 at its lowest point in 18 months. And coinciding with that is that Biden has increased his lead in the national polls. So he's now up about eight or nine points, which is mm. quite significant. Um, remember that like Hillary Clinton won by two percentage points in 2016, but obviously she didn't win the Electoral College. Biden is also doing relatively well in the swing states that uh, Trump from the Democrats in 2016. So Michigan, mm. Florida. Do you think that the... Um shift in states like uh, Michigan, Florida. I think there's been some uh, very interesting movement in um, in Georgia as well. Do you yeah. think that this is a result of just four years of the of the Trump presidency and that people would just vote for any uh, Democratic candidate? Or do you think that this is something specifically to do with Biden? Yeah, I think it's... I think when you have an incumbent president, it's often their second election is essentially a referendum on them. Mm. You look at how approval ratings can basically fix what the election result is going to be relatively well. And you had Jimmy Carter and George Bush Sr., who were the only two presidents in recent memory who've had similar approval ratings to Trump, and both of them lost their re-election bids. Um, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that it's because of Biden's strength as a candidate. I think in many ways Biden is a weaker candidate than Hillary Clinton was. But mm. at the same time, the polls don't necessarily indicate that. You look at, for example, with white voters, which is basically how Trump won the election last time. Biden fares a lot better than Clinton did, especially those like white voters without college degrees. Are pivotal in swinging Michigan, for example, to Trump. Mm. Um, and of course, um, prior to uh, Biden becoming the uh, presumptive nominee. Of course, we had the uh, Democratic uh, primaries and we saw uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, do you think out of the uh, Democratic candidates and the, and the other candidates that stuck, there was anyone who perhaps could have done, uh, or in, in terms of the approval rating and in terms of uh, percentage point lead over Trump, could have done uh, better than Biden? Or do you think that they would have got a a similar sort of a, a lead to him. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say because we, we can't really retrospectively poll and nobody could have predicted what was going to happen with coronavirus mm. and the widespread protests that are going on. Um, but Biden's in a very good position, so I, I wouldn't want to say that somebody would be doing better than him. But I mean, we're still like five months out. Biden, obviously, there's been a lot of speculation about his health and his mental sharpness, which I think have those issues with some of the other candidates. Like mm -hmm. Sanders was basically the same age as Biden, but he was a lot sharper. Um, but at the same time, like Sanders being further left than Biden, 
might potentially have alienated certain voters, but at the same time, it could have could have brought other ones on side. What are your general uh, feelings about the um, senatorial races that will also be happening in uh, the US this year? Because, of course, uh, one of the things that the Democrats are aiming for and, and the Republicans hope they, they don't achieve is not only to uh, take the presidency, but also to, to take the Senate back. What are your feelings about the uh, chances this time around uh, with the Senate? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one because you would expect if, if Biden were to win the presidency like comfortably, then the Democrats at the same time might get some sort of blue wave which, which flips the Senate back. But we have a market on the House and Senate control in 2020. So basically what the balance of power will be. So, for example, you've got Democrat House versus Republican Senate, Democrat House and Democrat Senate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but at the moment, the favorite contract on that is Democrat House, Republican Senate, which is the status quo. So market users aren't necessarily as confident that the Democrats will take back the Senate as they are with Biden gaining the presidency. So for example, if you just add up the percentages for Democrat House, Democrat Senate and Republican House, Democrat Senate, the Democrats are only on about 43% chance of taking back the Senate, whereas the Republicans are now more likely than not to keep the Senate. Mm. Uh, do you think that there's any sort of um, particular reason for this? Uh, do you think that it's just people perhaps aren't as confident with the individual Democratic candidates? Or do you think it's just that voters would prefer someone else uh, to be president, but not necessarily change the the makeup of the uh, of the House and, and the Senate. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that's the case. I think the issue with the Senate is more to do with the electoral system. So in the Senate, like every state, doesn't matter what size it is, gets two senators. Whereas in the presidential election, each state is given electoral votes based on its size. So obviously, the rural, smaller, smaller states in the US have a much greater say in the Senate outcomes than they do in the presidential outcomes. And obviously, those states are much more friendly towards Trump and the Republican Party. Um, if, uh, as uh, Smarkets and uh, other agencies are at the moment seeming to, to, to lean towards a, a Biden presidency, but a, a Senate that still is under the control of the Republicans, how do you think that that would impact Biden's ability to govern and, and, and implement legislation? Well, I mean, obviously, it, it would hinder him a lot. Um, you look at Obama when he lost control of the Senate in 2012, was that? Mm. I can't remember the exact the exact yeah. year that was. Um, but yeah, it, the Republicans basically just obstructed things he was trying to get done. I, I think it would be difficult for Biden to get things done. So I think that's probably why it's important for the Democrats to make sure that there's a high turnout and to remember that it's not just the presidency they're fighting for in November. Mm. They would want the House and Senate as well. Uh, do you think that if the uh, Republicans use uh, the a presidential election. Do you think that there's going to be a, a repudiation of Trump and Trumpianism, or do you think that there's going to be a bit of a uh, no? We're just going to stick with this. It worked in 2016. We could find another populist candidate like him. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so sure that they will repudiate uh, Trumpism. I think it could be just somebody with the similar kind of politics that Trump has, but just better orator and someone who's more of a professional, which I think could be quite dangerous for the Democrats. Like you look at the right of centre parties across Europe have basically abandoned that kind of centre-right positioning and mm. kind of gone more towards a populist, populist right um, nationalism kind of politics like Boris Johnson with the whole getting Brexit done and um, improving 
um, I guess, kind of shifting slightly to the left economically mm. than where the party had been historically, not necessarily implementing those policies, but rhetorically at least. Um, you look in Poland, in Hungary, that kind of right-wing nationalism is electorally quite successful. And I think I think the Republican Party might continue down that route, even if Trump does lose in 2020. It's not to say that even if he does lose in 2020, he won't be the nominee in 2024. Mm. He could stick around. Mm. Uh, do you think that um, there's a chance that uh, in 2024 that the Republicans might shift to someone perhaps maybe like uh, Nikki Haley, or do you think that, that, that they're more likely to, to still uh, stick with Trump? And do you think that it depends how much the uh, Republican uh, base uh, decides whether they still want Trump as their standard bearer or not, regardless of what the GOP establishment think? Yeah, because tr- Trump is still, although he's unpopular in the country, he's still very popular amongst the Republican base. So it, it's unclear whether they would seek to shift away from him. Obviously, the Republican establishment might not like somebody like Trump. They might like somebody who's maybe a more moderate figure, like someone on the centre-right. But if the Republican base favours somebody in Trump's ilk, they're going to vote for them. And it's the Republican establishment's not going to be able to do anything about that. Mm. Uh, moving uh, across the pond back uh, uh, to, to Britain, um, what do you think um, the way that uh, people have viewed... Um, Boris Johnson has uh, changed over the past few months because, of course, um, in terms of polling, in, in terms of uh, satisfaction, uh, Boris Johnson has, has, has gone down uh, quite a, a bit. Do you think that this is solely down to the government's handling of uh, coronavirus or do you think that there are something else uh, involved? Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think it is mainly down to the coronavirus. Like in... In terms of comparing where he is now to where he was at the election, he's gone down, but not not massively. I think the fact that he's declined so steeply comes in part from the fact that he had a quite large increase in his approval ratings during the early stages of the coronavirus crisis, which is kind of like a rally around the flag effect. Lots of lots of leaders across the world got a, got a boost in their approval ratings and in their opinion poll ratings. Um, I mean, you saw like in the last month, it looked like the conservative lead was in in free fall in the opinion polls, uh, Labour was, I think, about 20 points behind mm. at one point, but now, that, now they've closed that gap to about four or five points. Um, but the Conservatives seem to have kind of stemmed that tide a little bit. It looks like it's stabilising now, about four or five points lead for the Conservatives, which is still a pretty good position for them to be in. Um, it seems like while Brexit is still an issue, they, have, they will still be able to unite that kind of 40% of the public that still just wants Brexit to... Brexit to be implemented, I think you couldn't really predict how things are going to go until Brexit is kind of sorted as an issue. Mm. Um, and of course, we're, we're, this year we may be uh, coming towards a, a, a conclusion, at least of one stage uh, of Brexit. Do you think that um, if coronavirus is still uh, a, a potent issue at the end of the year, and we see uh, a, a no deal Brexit. Do you think that this will um, damage uh, the Conservatives quite a bit, or, or, or do you think it it won't damage them as much? I mean, it depends. It depends how it goes. If if there is a no deal Brexit, I mean, it will no doubt satisfy quite a large constituency of the population who wants a no deal Brexit. Mm. But if the economic impact of that is very large, paired with the fact that you've got the second wave of coronavirus, it could be a perfect storm for a very bad economic downturn, which obviously will not help the government one bit. If, for example, house prices collapse, that could potentially 
impact their standing with older voters who might own their own homes, for example, which have been pretty solidly conservative for the past few years. Um, what do you think uh, the Conservatives' position in terms of leadership will be going into the next general election? Because, of course, there have been questions over uh, whether Boris Johnson uh, will remain as Prime Minister. And I know that uh, Smarkets has been um, doing some work on that. What, what's the general uh, feeling regarding that? Yeah, well, I mean, in our next Prime Minister market, Keir Starmer remains the favourite, but he's only on 33%, which could suggest there's, there's a two-thirds chance it's going to be somebody else, which could suggest that people think that Boris Johnson could be replaced before the next election. So Rishi Sunak has gained in, in popularity, so he's in second place in the next Prime Minister market at 17%. So he's below Starmer, but that's, that's still a fairly high percentage for a, mm. somebody who's not in charge of a political party. Um, but I mean, after the election result, it was almost unthinkable that Boris Johnson would be potentially being replaced before the next election. You would have thought mm. he'd, be, he'd be carrying on as leader until whenever he wanted to. But I think since the handling of the coronavirus and the Dominic Cummings issue, there's been a lot of disquiet amongst conservative backbenchers. And I think the Conservative Party is interested in power above all else, I think more than any other political mm. party. Um, they are very happy and very yeah, just, just very happy with being able to ditch their leaders when they're not electorally viable. Um, no matter if they've won an election recently, if they're not doing well in the polls, they will, they'll be happy to get rid of them because they want to hold on to power. So I think, it's, I think it is possible that Boris Johnson could leave before the next election. Like, for example, our market on Boris Johnson's exit date puts it at a 77% chance that he will leave 2022 or later. So that gives it a 28% chance that he'll be replaced before 2022. And obviously the next election is not until 2024, so it should be a higher percentage that he'll be replaced before then. Mm. Um, do you think uh, that, and you mentioned uh, um, Keir Starmer's uh, ranking in your um, next Prime Minister market, do you think that part of the issue with uh, Keir Starmer breaking through is not so much uh, he is a leader, but as the way that uh, the Labour Party is viewed as whether it's a, a party of government in comparison to the Conservatives? Yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting one because Keir Starmer's had a relatively quiet start to his um, leadership of the Labour Party. He hasn't really made, done anything particularly controversial. He's kind of stayed quiet and not, not really waded into some issues, which has mm. drawn criticism from parts of the Labour Party, but it seems to be serving him well. His approval ratings are extremely high. They are, with Ipsos Mori, they are, his approval rating was the highest, joint highest ever for a leader of the opposition. Only Tony Blair in 1994 had an approval rating as high as that. Um, so I think, I think that contributes to, I guess, public opinion of competence of the party. But I mean, also it helps Starmer that he's not getting he's not getting attacked day in day out in the newspapers like like Corbyn was. Mm. Um, uh, and of course, we're having uh, another um, UK uh, leadership uh, election this year, the uh, Liberal Democrats. Uh, what's uh, the sort of general feeling on who will be the um, next dip, uh, Lib Dem leader? Because it seems to be at the moment uh, a, a battle between. Ed Davey and Leila Moran. Uh, have, have you got any sort of predictions at the moment as to who might be uh, triumphant in that contest? Yeah, so in our, in our market on the next Liberal Democrat leader, uh, Ed Davey had been leading from January up until March, but Leila Moran took a small lead and now her lead is increasing. Um, 
yesterday, I think Vera Hobhouse dropped out and endorsed mm. Leila Moran, who is another candidate in the in the leadership. And Leila Moran is currently at 57% chance of being the next Liberal Democrat leader, and Ed Davies down at 37%. So it's a 20-point lead, but it's not it's not done by any stretch of the imagination. Like 57% is still roughly a, a coin toss. So it could go either way. Mm. Um, and I think Leila Moran has said that she wants uh, the Liberal Democrats, if she uh, becomes a leader, to uh, act as a, a more um, left-wing party than perhaps they have been in the past. Do you think that that's something that is achievable? What, what, are, what are your uh, thoughts on that? Do you think that that would be effective for them? Yeah, I think I think part of the issue the Liberal Democrats have had in recent years is a kind of crisis of identity, they tended to just kind of slip into those gaps in which they, they, they saw basically a gap in the market in terms of who, what kind of political ideology wasn't being represented. So you saw in 2019 that Joe Swinson kind of appealed more towards those disgruntled conservative Remainers or mm. Labour Remainers who weren't very happy with Jeremy Corbyn um, and tried to go down that kind of like centre-centre-right route. But Leila Moran, obviously with Keir Starmer being elected as Labour leader, might see a gap in the kind of progressive left that she could try and appeal to, for example, in appealing on social issues, which Keir Starmer hasn't been necessarily as as strong on as Jeremy Corbyn was. So I I think it's an interesting one for the Liberal Democrats um, in whether they will seek to take more votes off the Conservatives like they might have in in 2019 or might have sought to do in 2019 or whether they're going to try and outflank Labour from the left. It could be an interesting one. Mm. Um, How do you think um, this uh, change that we've uh, seen uh, both in the leadership of the Labour Party and uh, soon the Liberal Democrats will impact on next year's uh, local elections and mayoral elections? Do you think that this may shift the balance in terms of the outcome more to the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats? Or do you think that the Conservatives uh, may still uh, do very well? Yeah, I mean, I can't see the Liberal Democrats having much of an impact, to be honest. Um, I mean, they've been polling in single figures for quite a while now. Um, And obviously, it's not the case in local elections where they could act as a spoiler and let the Conservatives in because most of the mayoral elections, for example, are conducted under a two-round system so people can give second preferences. Um, I think when you look at the mayoral election, Sadiq Khan is on course for a victory, potentially even getting over 50% in the first round. So it looks like Labour will be successful there. But in terms of the local elections overall, the our market still gives the Conservatives a higher chance of having the highest national equivalent vote share in the local elections. So they've got a 72% chance of getting the most votes in the 2021 local elections, whereas Labour is on 38% chance. So that adds to 110% because there's, there's an overround there. Mm. But the So the markets still think that the Conservatives will do better in the local elections, but obviously there's still, still a year to go. There's Brexit negotiations to continue. There could be another wave of coronavirus. Like There's a lot that could change before then. Mm. Um, how much do you think in terms of uh, the influence uh, on particular outcomes in markets. How much influence do you think that uh, things like Twitter and uh, the media influence outcomes? Or do you think that uh, people using the service perhaps sometimes maybe go a bit more with their gut instinct than uh, information that they might be getting from other sources? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because at times you have a kind of counterintuitive 
result on markets where the markets that have more trading on can sometimes be less accurate than the ones that have a lower amount of trading. Because mm. the ones with lower amount of trading, it tends to be people who are interested in these kind of things and kind of have more knowledge about politics. Whereas you've got like casual, casual traders who might trade on the, on the presidential election, which might be part of the reason that Trump is still at a 36% chance. Whereas when you look at the individual states, like Biden leads in basically all the markets on the swing states. So it seems hard to reconcile the Biden's leading in all of those swing state markets, but is still only at 60% on the next president market. Mm. Uh, we're coming towards uh, the end of the podcast it's been uh, great to speak to you uh, Patrick and I've got one uh, final question for you um, obviously we've been discussing coronavirus uh, quite a bit uh, in this podcast and of course uh, because of that there has been a, a, a lockdown and that's being uh, eased and, and things generally seem to be uh, going back to normal obviously they won't be entirely uh, back to normal but uh, when things are uh, fully back to normal what one thing that you haven't been able to do uh, are you most looking forward to doing oh um probably go to the cinema i used to go to, i go to the cinema quite a lot but i haven't been able to do that um i know they're opening again on the 4th of july but i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna hold off until things are fully safe yeah uh, <laughs> i think that that's a uh, a reasonable uh, response and I, I, I hope you enjoy uh, going to the uh, the cinema uh, as soon as you can thank you once again for coming on the podcast thank you thanks for having me cheers thank you for listening to the podcast don't forget that you can subscribe on itunes spotify podbean or youtube you can follow us at debated podcast on twitter like us debated podcast on facebook and if you want to email us either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard or any other episodes, then email us thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.